Welcome to the clinical podcast series brought to you by the American Academy of Optometry Foundation. Today's episode is entitled Licensure and Driving Status Among Visually Impaired Persons. I'm Joe Laborde and I'll be your host today. Our topical expert and lead author of today's review is Dr. Josh Robinson and our topical editor is Dr. Greg Hopkins. And now it's my pleasure to bring you today's episode. Welcome to this episode of the clinical podcast series brought to you by the American Academy of Optometry. Today I'm with Dr. Josh Robinson with the Department of Ophthalmology at Vanderbilt Eye Institute. Welcome, Dr. Robinson. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. Um, Dr. Robinson is also lead author of the article we'll be reviewing today, and he's a diplomate with um, the Academy. So here we go. The title of this article is Licensure and Driving Status Among Visually Impaired Persons. So Dr. Robinson, this topic is a pretty hot topic, right? So what prompted you to try and figure out exactly what proportion of drivers are out there and aren't meeting their state's licensure criteria, uh, yet still feel okay to drive? Yeah, you're right, Joe. It's definitely a hot topic. Driving is one of those things in our low vision clinics, which comes up all the time, uh, whether it's a concern voiced by the patient or by their support system, their loved one, their friend, or their neighbor who's attending their visit with them. And it became clear in seeing uh, the patients who I do here at Vanderbilt that a lot of patients I was examining maybe demonstrated clinical findings that might fall short of their state's licensure criteria, primarily Tennessee licensure criteria. Uh, despite their report to me that they were still driving, whether that's on a full-time or on a limited basis. So I became interested in trying to actually quantify how many of these patients might actually be on the road, uh, despite perhaps falling short of licensure criteria, and maybe not having been picked up in the renewal process uh, for their state. And in reviewing some of the literature that was out there, studies from DiCarlo and others indicated that that percentage may be pretty high. So I decided to kind of out of curiosity, develop a, a brief questionnaire to administer and, and try to quantify that in our patient base here at Vanderbilt. Oh, that's awesome. So I'm dying to ask, how did you get your patients to kind of open up to you about their driving habits, right? Yeah, it, you count on that, don't you? I think um, <laughs> honesty, one of the potential pitfalls of a self-reporting study like this is that people just aren't going to be forthright with you. And mm -hmm. uh, it, it indicates, you know, it gives me the indication that perhaps the numbers we wound up finding were even an underestimate of, of the true percentages because people out of fear for having their license revoked or perhaps assuming that their doctor is going to report them to the state if they do fall short, if they tell me that they're driving, um, kind of rely on people being honest and open. And I think the process in a low vision exam that we go through with patients and taking the time to establish rapport in a, in a line of communication where they feel safe and they feel open to, to being honest with mm -hmm. us uh, probably goes a long way, but I'm sure that there's some 
holdouts who maybe weren't completely honest in, in their response to our questionnaire. Yeah, good point, good point. So are the vision standards for licensure, which are meant to be the interest of public safety, appro appropriately balancing the risk and the benefits when about a third of individuals fail, yet they, they still feel okay to keep driving? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And that's part of what I hope for this study and others potentially like it to lay the groundwork for is, is answering that. I don't, I don't have a definitive answer to that. You know, past studies showing a weak correlation, if any, between visual acuity and driving fitness um, are kind of in juxtaposition to most state laws, especially our state law in Tennessee, which for non-bioptic drivers only takes into account visual acuity and does not account for things like visual field, contrast sensitivity, which have both been shown to um, be pertinent to driving safety. And so the answer, the short answer is probably no. And uh, with regards to public safety and trying to make laws appropriate and representative of public safety and public health, I think that this is a very, very small step toward achieving those ends. In mm -hmm. talking about contrast sensitivity, why isn't contrast sensitivity, sensitivity an easily measurable visual function not accounted for in any state's driving laws? Again, uh, <laughs> your guess is as good as mine. There's not, I guess, an understanding, um, a good enough understanding maybe at the level of state lawmakers that contrast sensitivity is so important. Um, mm -hmm contrast sensitivity, I mentioned visual field or visual attention in general, which are becoming more well understood as far as their, uh, as their relationship with driving fitness are just in a lot of cases, especially here in Tennessee, where most of my patients come from, just not accounted for. And it's going to take work like this and uh, individuals in optometry and eye care in general and healthcare who understand the importance of these factors to try to push for uh, reasonable change to state licensure laws when applicable. Mm -hmm. And finally, do you think we have a problem with the way driver's license privileges are even decided in the U.S.? I would say in one of the interesting things that I found that I didn't realize uh, prior to starting this study, but over the course of asking these patients the questions and measuring their visual function clinically was that so many of my patients renew licenses remotely. And I had people report to me that the last time they had their vision checked for a license renewal was three, four decades in the past. And in a lot of cases, you know, we're seeing patients with progressive eye conditions that can change a lot over the course of decades, as you can imagine, and someone who was legal to be licensed in their 20s, maybe now in their 60s, uh, is just not meeting that threshold, but they're renewing online and there's no consideration unless they find themselves in a, in a motor vehicle collision. Uh, mm -hmm. No one's really reviewing their vision at the time of renewal. So I think there are parts of licensure law and procedures uh, on a large scale that probably should be tweaked and changed. And that's kind of part of the motivation behind um, undertaking a study like this. 
Well, wow. We just want to thank you so much for all of the conversation today and um, really do appreciate you being here with us. And hopefully we can see you again and have you on another podcast series in the, in the future. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me, Joe. Our pleasure. Thank you so much. And a special thanks to Cooper Vision for their educational grant to make it all happen.